Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Today our topic is Law Firm Organizational Alignment for Higher Productivity. Joining us is Dr. Thomas J. DeLong. He's the Philip J. Stomberg Professor of Management Practice in the Organizational Behavior Area at the Harvard Business School. Before joining the Harvard faculty, DeLong was Chief Development Officer and Managing Director of Morgan Stanley Group, Inc., where he was responsible for the firm's human capital and focused on issues of organizational strategy and change. Welcome, Dr. DeLong. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, thank you for your time. I'm going to just jump right in with some, with some questions for you um, that will be really interesting to our audience. Can you tell us what some of the most common management problems are that you see in law firms today? The central problem, Jean, is that those who choose law for a profession aren't thinking that in 15 or 20 years they're going to have the responsibility of being managers slash leaders. They join these firms because they want to help clients. They want to use their intellectual skills and their achievement drive to answer very tough questions for clients. And what happens is the better they get at that, and as they grow in the profession, the more they're asked to do things that they haven't been trained for. Uh, those folks, those uh, individuals who choose law as a profession, again, haven't thought through about the implications of what it's going to be like in late 30s or the early 40s. And often these individuals find themselves spending far more time in the human relations domain of management and leadership without having, again, basically what happens is is that they end up giving up what they love to do. What makes their heart beat fast is the work. So what are some of those things that they would probably not anticipate that they may have to do and that now become a little burdensome? Well, one would be is to manage the expectations of all the professionals uh, with whom you have responsibility. And what I mean by that is, is how do I set a realistic picture for those individuals, those professionals who join the firm? What do I say so that I, so that I manage the, the, either the story that they're going to create about what this is going to be like, how do I manage their hopes and dreams and, and help them continue to be committed to the profession and to the firm? And so it's how do I have those honest conversations early on? How do I manage expectations as they work up through the <clears throat> associate level 
and the senior associate level and the partnership. Uh, how do I have difficult conversations with individuals who, for some reason, whatever, aren't meeting expectations? Um, and I, so I think that the, the other part is, is how do I coach and give people uh, advice about their careers or respond to different kinds of questions that, that uh, individuals come to me when I, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I should be doing client work. I really should be billing. I really should be, the way I'm going to add value is, is doing this specific concrete thing. That kind of transition to, um, in a lot of your work, you, you talk about the tension between managing and producing that occurs within pro- professional service firms. Can you talk a little bit more about that and describe that tension? Sure. When, when I teach uh, in leadership development or leadership courses in law firms, I begin by relating the story of Jeff Gardner, who's fabulous with his clients, but the, the um, seniors and his fellow partners are unhappy with him. And he basically keeps what I would call neglecting them and, 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 and seeing them only through the filter of how much they are producing and really doesn't see the human side. And what happens over time is the other partners and the associates build up resentment and feel like they're being used, and there's absolutely no communication going on. And for Jeff, it, it's, it's, it's not intentional. You know, in some ways there's sins of omission, but over mm-hmm. time, um, all those individuals being affected by Jeff pay a price. Now, what I'm describing is, is why, is, and I've alluded to it earlier, Jeff has a passion for the work. That's what he does. That's what he does very well. That's what he's been trained to do. And all of a sudden now he's supposed to manage all these other people. He's supposed to, again, have these uh, uh, conversations. He's supposed to decide who gets promoted. He gets to decide um, who's going to get demoted. And these are all things that feel foreign to him. And that's the management piece. And what we say is that good law firms have high expectations of their leaders, their partners, and sometimes their senior associates to produce and manage simultaneously. It's important that you do both. The reason that we call it in the research the producer-manager dilemma is that this isn't a problem that you can just solve one day by bringing in someone to manage uh, other than the producer. It's very clear that lawyers want to look up to other lawyers. They don't want to look up to managers. They want to look up to those those individuals, those partners who are in the deal flow, who have credibility in the organization and externally. So it is a dilemma that needs to be managed and managed and managed. And what we know and we might get into this a little bit later, is that the individuals who self-select into law firms 
will choose nine times out of ten when you put pressure on them. They will choose the task of serving clients over managing this organization or the organization for which they have responsibility. Right. Now, can I ask, because many in our audience um, will be non-attorney, you know, business executives that manage law firms. So, you know, what kind of a role do you think they can have in um, helping relieve that that problem of manager-producer dilemma? Well, there's a a couple of things, actually more than a couple. But one is, is, is that they can have an understanding of the motivations of those individuals that are professionals in the firm. Mm -hmm. Number two is they need to have empathy for how the motivations are different and how the the motor runs differently for those those lawyers. Three, I think these non-professionals need to be comfortable and have self-concepts that are strong enough so that they can push back when the lawyers ask the the non-attorneys to do what the attorneys should be doing themselves. And what I mean by that is there's this constant tension where when lawyers don't want to do something, they don't want to have the conversation, they outsource it to the non-attorney senior business managers and say, you take care of it. And so I think it's I think it's very I think it's imperative for the senior business managers to have their own clear vision, their own clear strategy and be very careful about not ending up spending all of their time cleaning up problems of uh the attorneys who don't want to do what in fact they should really be doing. So there there are three specific things that they can do that. Um, I guess one of the things I'm saying is, is that often the non-attorney senior business managers collude, and because they want to feel needed and they want to feel important, they take on any task, any responsibility that an attorney gives them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's I think that that then they get overwhelmed, and then they they in psychological terms, you know, they become paralyzed. And, and it doesn't help their work. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think job clarification and role definition and making those very, very clear are essential to making this work. Great. Thank you. Um, we're going to switch gears slightly here and um, focus a little bit more on the topic of organizational alignment. I know that's something you do a lot of work in. Um, can you t- describe to me some of the characteristics of a well-aligned organization? Let's go back to Jeff okay. in the earlier example. Mm-hmm. This is an organization that is out of alignment because in the mission statement of Jeff's firm, it says that we care about our professionals as much as we do our clients. And so a new associate reads that and says, oh, I'm going to have a mentor. I'm going to have somebody who really cares about me. I'm going to have someone who will help me through rough patches and teach me how to do this business. And then what they find is that they're being neglected. They find that um, they don't have a mentor. 
they find that the person that hired them has left them to join another firm. They also find that there's um, a lot of gossip and mean-spiritedness between the junior associates and the senior associates and the partners. They also realize that when they go to the, a conference or they go to, go to a, uh, a firm gathering off-site and they hear the partners talking about how unfair the promotion and compensation process is, you're starting to see an organization where the critical tasks and the formal organization, how the work is organized, and how the culture and the people, the staff, how they're not on the same page. And, and what really frustrates professionals is when organizations espouse particular values, particular ways of doing things, and then the professionals experience it very differently. And that variance is what really causes stress and distress and also distrust in organizations. And so what would be some just basic strategies for moving the ball forward towards alignment, better right. alignment, do you think, just basic? This is what I would think at first, is, is a firm needs to decide <laughs> they need to have a clear and simple strategy. They need to say to themselves as a collective or as a partnership, in five years, we're going to have a big celebration as a law firm. Now, let's step back and say, what would we be celebrating? And how are we going to get there? And in simplest terms, that's what I would say is, is a way of thinking about the picture you create and how you get people on board. The next thing you need to think about is, is how are we going to organize the work in all the different areas to support the strategy? In other words, what are our departments going to be like? Are we going to have many departments, fewer departments? But how are we going to organize that work to support it? And then third, what are the systems that we need to put in place to support us in organizing the work and getting to where we want to go? And what I mean by systems would be, is the promotion system consistent with where we want to go? Is the um, compensation system, how about succession planning at the departmental level and throughout the firm? Is there, is there, is it, is it a good system? Do people trust it? Do they think that the systems in these organizations are fair? And do they think that the judges who are making these decisions are fair? So there's three examples of really of 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 three dimensions of organizations that you need to have. Um, that need to be in alignment and that uh, firm leaders need to think about. Now, I can go on more and more on this topic, topic Gene, if you wish. So you coach me if you, if you want me to go, go more and uh, talk more about the aligned organization. Well, I guess my question would be, if you're working with a company or you know, some of your um, 
understanding of case studies and your own work with companies are these is are these misalignments pretty evident to all i mean is it like you know you talk about it and everybody's pretty aware of the misalignment or does it take some real you know analysis to really uncover that i this is what i often do is uh, let's say i'm asked to spend a couple of days with some partners of a law firm and i will ask them so write down three ways in which you think the organization is in alignment and three ways in which you think it's out of alignment. And every time someone will raise her hand and say, can I write more than three? And so it's not just what you see, but it's what you feel when you come to work. And, and, and if, again, if there's that difference, then people can see it. People can feel it, and they know it's there. When I'm asked to do a culture audit and come in and see where uh, there might be some blind spots for the organization, it doesn't take long, whether it's through focus groups, uh, whether it's uh, through a few interviews, for themes to emerge. And what I'm looking for, I'm looking for um, the organization where there are very few themes of misalignment, where people, in fact, Gene, and this is one of the things I mean this, I want, I want lawyers, I want them to feel irrational about their organization and about their firms. I want them to, to look back and say, you know, those years between 2005 and 2015, those were some of the best years of my life. And one of the reasons it was is because we had a managing partner and we had business managers who spoke out of the same voice, mm-hmm. were consistent, were inspirational. And I'll never forget those 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great aspirational goal for a firm to work towards. Um, thank you for that. Uh, so I'm going to switch gears again a little bit just because to touch on some of the other topics and, you know, points that you're really, um, you know, have some real uh, knowledge of, deep knowledge of and passion about, I think. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about what you think um, senior non, again, non-attorney professionals could do to increase their influence? I mean, the, many of our audience are very high-level executives already, so certainly right. they have influence, but um, there's always some obstacles there. So what kind of strategies do you recommend for increasing influence? Well, one thing would be is make sure to get out of your rut. And what I mean by that, your collective ruts or respective ruts, what do I mean by that is, is you might be having weekly or daily uh, meetings with um, the managing partner or the executive committee. And you need to assess whether those meetings um, are, are useful. Over and over again, when I visit a meeting, I ask people at the end of the meeting, I say, let's vote. Was that a productive meeting or was it useless? Was it worthless? Mm-hmm. Eight times out of ten, people raise their hand and say, it's, it's useless. And I think that the senior, that, that this, this, um, person that you describe, this non-attorney or maybe mm-hmm, attorney, mm-hmm. business manager, has mm-hmm. a responsibility to stop 
practices that aren't serving the organization. So they need to question meetings. They need to set up um, meetings, structures with uh, the leaders where they have honest conversations, not only about how the organization is working, but also have they set up a process where they're giving feedback on how that executive committee as a team and individually can be better at what they do. And, and I think it's, it's processes need to be put in place, and I don't necessarily think it's just the, the HR person that should be doing this. I, mm-hmm. think that the, I think that the business manager, you are running the, you are running the business basically. Um, you're, you're the heart and soul of that firm. And in doing so, you, you're overwhelmed with activities, and you need to make sure that, that you're managing your time and not wasting it. I think the other thing is is to make sure that you have the best people that are um, reporting to you. I see time and time again in firms where we say, well, this person is really nice and they've worked here for 20 years. There's no way that we could ever ask them to um, work somewhere else where it would be a better fit. And I think that we need to be Ruthlessly, ruthlessly compassionate with uh, subordinates who are hurting us because those problems don't go away. The, the, the human challenges that we have are, cir- are circular in nature. They keep coming back and manifesting themselves in different ways. And so I think we need to leverage ourselves better in these positions by, by uh, getting the very best people to help us. Thank, thank you. That's that's great advice. Um, believe it or not, that brings us to the end of our podcast already. The time has flown by. Um, thank you to our guest, Dr. Tom DeLong, for his expertise on organizational alignment. Um, Dr. DeLong will be our featured speaker this fall at ALA's Large Firm Principal Administrators Retreat, which will be um, held September 18th through the 20th in Orlando. And um, if you're interested in hearing more about that and understanding more about that, please visit ALA's website, alanet.org, for more information. And thank you again to Dr. Talong and for everyone for joining us on this podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.